Think about the last time you wanted to comfort a friend. One of my favorite dedications is from The Little Prince. In 1943, writer Antoine de Saint-Exupéry reaches out from America across the Atlantic to occupied France to his best friend who is fighting in the French resistance. And the dedication to the little prince says, to Leon Worth, I ask children to forgive me for dedicating this book to a grown-up. I have a serious excuse. This grown-up is the best friend I have in the world. I have another excuse. This grown-up can understand everything, even books for children. I have a third excuse. He lives in France, where he is hungry and cold. He needs to be comforted. If all of these excuses are not enough, then I want to dedicate this book to the child whom this grown-up once was. All grown-ups were children first, but few of them remember it. So I correct my dedication. To Leon Worth, when he was a little boy. Who knew? For years of reading this story, I had no idea that it was intended to comfort a friend. A friend as lonely and far away as a little prince on a small planet. It's tempting to skip that dedication page, but these pages have amazing stories that are worth our time. And sometimes they can change the way we read the entire book. Welcome to Dedicate It. Dedicate It is a podcast that dives into the stories hidden in the first pages of a book. In each episode, we'll take a second look at the dedications from our favorite books, and we'll talk to authors, musicians, scientists, and more about the people who got them where they are today. I'm your host, Emily Ludoff. I'm so happy that we had the chance to talk to former poet laureate Robert Pinsky. We spoke to him at his home in Cambridge, where he read the dedication from his latest collection at the Foundling Hospital. Can you start off by reading uh, the title of the book and then your dedication? And can you tell me where this dedication came from, just to sort of kick us off? To Louise and to the memory of Alan and Charlie. The two men, Alan and Charlie, uh, died in the year or so before the book came out. I met Alan when I was 17 years old. He was the big literary man on campus at Rutgers when I arrived there. While Robert was writing the book, his friend, novelist and book reviewer Alan Schuess, was in a car crash. And he was in a coma for weeks, and they gradually realized he was not going to come back from the coma. There's a poem in Robert's collection called In the Coma. In the Coma is about Alan. And what happens when somebody's in a coma, uh, there's a period in which the doctors have some hope. And you talk to the person, you sing to the person, you go over memories, you read aloud to the person, and sometimes the person comes back. I'll read it to you. In the Coma. My friend was in a coma, so I dove deep into his brain to word him back. I tried to sing Hallelujah, I Just Love Her So in Ray Charles's voice. 
Of course, the silence grew. I couldn't sing the alphabet song. My voice couldn't say words I knew. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. I couldn't remember the Dodgers and the Giants. I tried to tell him the stories he and I studied when we were young. It was confused. The invisible man was laughing at how a man felt history jump out of his thick, fair head and beat him half to death, as being the nightmare out of which Isaac Bobble tried to awake. But quiet. Next time, won't you sing with me? Those great diminished chords, a girl I knew, the cold of the coma, lightless, the ocean floor. I struggled to tell things back from decades gone, the mournful American soldier testifying about me lie. I shot the older lady. Viola Liuzzo, Spiro Agnew, Jim Jones. And by the time I count from one to four, I hear her knocking. Quiet of the deep, our mouths are open, but we cannot sing. So those were two very dear friends that I lost, and one very dear friend whom I still have. Louise Gluck is my good friend, lives a few blocks from here, talked to her on the phone about an hour ago. These are three poet friends who are very important to me. There are three people with whom I have shared writing and gotten advice about writing, and uh, they have given me advice about writing. That's an ongoing friendship in poetry. So poetry, in many quite different cultures, has everything to do with the fellowship, uh, the uh, love and friendship among the poets. It's ancient. It's pre-industrial. It goes back to a kind of uh, primitive uh, comradeship in people. The whole institution of the writing workshop in American creative writing is based on that communal nature of poetry. And you've said that you gradually find out the subject of a book just as you gradually find out the subject of a poem. And I'm wondering in that timeline, when does it emerge to you who the dedication will be to? I never think about the dedication. Uh, while I'm making the poems, I have all power to the people who do. Um, it's more like a celebration, a ceremony. Though you may be proving me wrong, Emily, Robert Pinsky's work tackles the question, what is America? Back in 1979, it was the period of protest against the Vietnam War. Pinsky wrote a poem called An Explanation of America. And uh, the subtitle of the book is a kind of dedication. The subtitle is A Poem to My Daughter. And uh, in that first 10 lines or so, I say children sometimes like explanations. I want to tell you something about our country or my idea of it, my dread of xenophobia, my love of American music. All those things come in and uh, 
by imagining someone, this child, I have a kind of focus or conduit, uh, or we could say an identity for me. I'm no longer the poet or the bard or the writer, um, the author. I am also the father with all the uh, earnestness, misgiving, uh, defects, and uh, ideals that one associates with that parental role. And it's a way of talking about the entire country, everything I feel about its history, its present, um, all is there. Uh, the book's been important to me lately. I got a letter from uh, someone I knew very well in those years saying, you know, Robert, you, in that poem, that book, and in conversation, you said you thought that fascism could rise in the United States, and uh, I disagreed with you. I told you I didn't think it was possible. You were right, and I was wrong. An experiment that we're trying with this show is asking people to dedicate something new, something they're proud of, a practice or a project. We asked Robert to get us started. I did this translation of uh, the very last thing uh, in my book, takes uh, Dante's in the Paradiso when he realizes he's going to die. If I were gonna rededicate that poem, which Dante says, uh, I lived, I can see that the ending is coming soon. Uh, I would dedicate to my children and grandchildren to tell them uh, life ends, but it also begins, has good things in it as well. That was poet laureate Robert Pinsky. His latest collection of poems is titled At the Foundling Hospital. Here at Dedicate It, we believe that any accomplishment, whether that's running a marathon, graduating from college, or finishing a screenplay, can be dedicated to a person. So as part of our program, we host monthly live events in New York where we ask the audience to take the mic and make a dedication of their own. Here are some of their stories. Well, first of all, I am a PA. Um, I work in the neonatal ICU at NYU in Bellevue, um, and I also work, yeah, <laughs> Nikki, baby. Um, and I also work um, as adjunct faculty with Cornell, um, which is where I did my schooling. Uh, but when I think about what I dedicate my work to, oftentimes um, there are some mornings I don't want to go in. There are a lot of mornings where it's just, it's really tough what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, and I don't, I don't, I, I love it, and I don't always love it. Um, and I actually turn to comedy as a balance um, in my life because what we do a lot is um, is hard. And at Bellevue, um, we're the regional perinatal provider for um, all of New York City, the five boroughs, um, and so all the city hospitals, the sickest of the sick and the smallest of the small come to us, they're transported in, and then it's our job to, to try to save them. Um, but because of that, we lose a lot of kids. Um, I, I think we've lost three this week, and that's just, that's like an average week. And so, um, when I think about what I dedicate my work to, when I think about getting up in the morning, um, I dedicate it to the kids that didn't make it. Um, 
I dedicate it to those that never got to really tell their story. Um, on that page, it said, you know, tell a story about who you're dedicating this to. And what breaks my heart is I can't. I can't tell you, you know, what their lives were going to be. Um, sometimes they live 100 days, sometimes 200 days. Um, and those are the hardest ones because those I've become very attached to. Um, and then when we lose them, that, that really stings. Um, I mean, when you lose any baby, it stings. But when you get to know their little personalities and you have hopes for them and dreams for them, um, and I was telling some of my new friends, they were asking, you know, where are their parents? Are they often there? And I said, you know, no, they're not. Um, because of our patient population, sometimes it's, it's too expensive or it's, they have other kids at home and they don't have childcare. Um, so their parents don't really come to see them. And so we kind of step into that role. Um, and I was telling them about one little boy who did make it, thank God. He, um, he got to go home last, he was supposed to go home uh, last New Year's Eve. And I was working New Year's Eve evening. Um, and he was supposed to go home, and his parents, uh, they didn't want to come pick him up. They wanted to go out and party, and that kind of tore me up because I had fought for this kid's life for, he was like 170-something days old when he finally got to go home, um, and it tore me up that they didn't want to come and bring him home, so I unhooked him from all the monitors and everything, which wasn't totally status quo, but, you know, he was going home that day. He was fine, um, and I took him into our little conference room, and I brought him a bottle, and we watched the ball drop together, and I just kind of thought about you know, how many more balls he's going to see drop from Times Square and, and what he's going to get to do with his little life, and I hope he's doing well wherever he is right now. But I dedicate my job and my work to the ones that we lost. In 2008, I wrote a book about college cheerleading called Cheer, and I had been dating someone for about four years when I was turning in my manuscript, so I went to write my dedication page and I typed up to fill in the blank, comma, my personal cheerleader. And the minute I wrote it, it felt really weird. And it just started to feel weirder and weirder. And I don't know why, but every time I looked at this manuscript, that dedication drove me crazy. And I think that dedication actually made me realize something, which was that the person I was with at the time kind of was, while a wonderful person, really terrible at two of the things I felt like I'd learned from the cheerleaders, which is how to be positive and how to support people no matter what. <laughs> and those are, are kind of things I want in a life partner. Um, so we ended up breaking up pretty shortly after I wrote that dedication. And I changed it last minute. I remember writing my editor and rushing, and I, I dedicated it to my mom, my dad, and my sister Liz, comma, my personal cheerleaders, which is much more accurate. But what I do want to dedicate the work I do now to, which is still very similar work, it's taking um, realistic situations and figuring out how to tell them on the page really well. And I have an incredible husband who is that great cheerleader and not in a false way, not in a way that's just like, woo, you're doing great. Like, he'll be like, no, that's, that's pretty terrible. But it's done in that way that, like, he believes I can do a lot better. And that's what a cheerleader is. So, um, to Andrew. That was Allison Paoni. She's a physician's assistant at Bellevue Hospital Center. And Kate Dragovnik, her book is called Cheer, with an exclamation point. 
We know not everyone can make it to New York for the live show, but we still really want to hear your stories. So we've made a voicemail box. Give us a call. Leave us a message. Tell us about something you're proud of and someone that you love. The number is 917-765-7589. Dedicated is a live show and podcast produced by Caveat, created by me, Emily Ludoff. Ben Lilly is our executive producer. Laura Sim is our producer. Additional help from Kate Downey, Derek Lasher, Lucy Anderson, Susan Moore, and William Ludoff. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you're feeling kind, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps new listeners find the show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks.